This is Holden Karnofsky, and I will be joined by my wife, Daniela, doing a read-through of a piece that is mostly a dialogue called Defending One-Dimensional Ethics. Previously, I introduced the idea of future-proof ethics. Ethics based on common sense and the conventions of the time has a horrible track record. Future-proof ethics is about trying to make ethical decisions that we can remain proud of in the future after a great deal of societal and or personal moral progress. I argued that for purposes of being future-proof, there's a good case in favor of what I call thin utilitarianism. That's an approach to ethics that emphasizes the greatest good for the greatest number, while not necessarily buying into all the views traditionally associated with utilitarianism. Here in this dialogue, I'm going to examine some of the stranger aspects of utilitarianism, particularly ways in which it pushes us toward being one-dimensional, allowing our ethical decision-making to be taken over by the opportunity to help a large number of persons in the same way. Utilitarianism implies that providing a modest benefit to a large enough number of persons can swamp all other ethical considerations, so the best way to make the world a better place may involve focusing exclusively on helping animals— who are extremely numerous and relatively straightforward to help, or on people who haven't been born yet, such as via working to reduce existential risk. It can also potentially imply things like, if you have a billion dollars to spend, it might be that you should spend it all on a single global health intervention. These ideas can be disturbing and off-putting, but I think there is also a strong case for them for those who wish their ethics to be principled and focused on the interests of others. Now, I'm genuinely conflicted about how one-dimensional my ethics should be, so I'm going to examine these issues via a dialogue between two versions of myself, utilitarian Holden and non-utilitarian Holden. These represent actual dialogues I've had with myself, so neither side is a pure straw person, although this particular dialogue serves primarily to illustrate the utilitarian views and how they are defended against initial and or basic objections from the non-utilitarian. In future dialogues, the non-utilitarian will raise more sophisticated objections. So we're going to get started, and to make this piece easier to follow in audio format, uh, the utilitarian version of myself will be played by me. The non-utilitarian version, voice in my head, will be played by my wife, Daniela. She chose this part out of the two, and in this piece, utilitarian will be making more points and have more to say, but in future pieces, non-utilitarian will come back with a vengeance, so don't worry about that. So, yeah, I'm going to start off uh, setting the stage as utilitarian Holden. And so this is part one, which says enough benefits can outweigh all other ethical considerations. So this is now me talking as the utilitarian side of myself. So to set the stage, I think utilitarianism is the best candidate for an other-centered ethics. That is, an ethics that's based as much as possible on the needs and wants of others, rather than on my personal preferences and personal goals. If you start with some simple assumptions that seem implied by the idea of other-centered ethics, then you can derive utilitarianism. This point is fleshed out more in an effective altruism forum piece about Harsani's aggregation theorem. I've also argued previously that the focus on other-centered ethics can be helpful if you want to make your ethics future-proof. Where my intuitions disagree with utilitarianism, I should suspect my intuitions and worry that future people will look back on me as I look back on those who are morally offended by homosexuality, birth control, miscegenation, and more. I don't think this ethical approach is the only one we should use for all decisions. I'll instead be defending thin utilitarianism, which says that it's the approach we should use for certain kinds of decisions. I think utilitarianism is particularly good for actions that are good, but usually considered optional, such as donating money to help others. So with that background, I'm going to defend this idea. 
Providing a modest benefit to a large enough number of persons can swamp all other ethical considerations. Ethics is a complex suite of intuitions, many of them incompatible. There's no master system for it. So a statement as broad as providing a modest benefit to a large enough number of persons can swamp all other ethical considerations sounds like an overreach. I agree there are many conflicting ethical intuitions, but many such intuitions are distorted. They're intuitions that seem to be about what's right, but often are really about what our peers are pressuring us to believe, what would be convenient for us to believe, and more. I want to derive my ethics from a small number of principles that I really believe in, and a good one is what I call the win-win principle. Say that you're choosing between two worlds, world A and world B. Every single person affected either is better off in world B or is equally well off in both worlds, and at least one person is better off in world B. In this case, I think you should always choose world B. If you don't, you can cite whatever rules of ethics you want, but you're clearly making a choice that's about you and your preferences, not about trying to help others. Do you accept that principle? I'm pretty hesitant to accept any universal principle, but it sounds plausible. Let's see where this goes next. All right, let's start with two people, person one and person two. Let's imagine a nice, theoretically clean space where you are, for some reason, choosing which button to press. If you press button one, person one gets a modest benefit. Not an epic or inspiring benefit, a modest one, like a nice relaxing day on the beach added to their life. If you press button two, person two gets a smaller benefit, say a few hours of beach relaxation added to their life, so it's a day versus a few hours. In this theoretically simplified setup, where there aren't awkward questions about why you're in a position to press this button, and there aren't considerations of fairness or anything like that, I say you should press button one, and that this is not some sort of complex, conflicted decision. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that seems clear enough. All right. Now say that it turns out person two is facing some extremely small risk of a very large tragic cost, say a one in a hundred million chance of dying senselessly in the prime of their life. We're going to add a button three that removes this one in a hundred million risk of tragedy. To press button three, you have to abstain from pressing button one or button two, which means no beach benefits. What do you do? I press button three. The risk of a tragedy is more important than a day at the beach. Well, what if person two prefers button two? Hmm, at first blush, that seems like an odd preference. I think it would be a nearly universal preference. A few miles of driving in a car gives you more than a one in 100 million chance of dying in a car accident. So anyone who enjoys the beach at all is happy to drive more than three miles to get there, right? And time is usually seen as the main cost of driving. The very real but small death risk is usually just ignored. Okay, in fact, most people in person two situation would prefer that I pressed button two, not three. But that doesn't mean it's rational to do so. The risks of death from three miles of driving must just feel so small that we don't notice them, even though we should. Well, now that you've thought about them, are you personally going to be unwilling to drive three miles to get a benefit as good as a nice day at the beach? I'm not, but maybe I'm not being rational. I think your version of rationality is going to end up thinking you should basically never leave your house. All right, let's say it's rational for person two to prefer button two to button three, meaning that button two really is better for them than button three. I still wouldn't feel right pressing button two instead of button three. Then my claim is you're failing to be other-centered. We're back to the win-win principle I mentioned above. If button two is better than button three for person two, and they're equally good for person one, and those are all the affected parties, you should prefer button two. All right, let's see where this goes. 
Say I accept your argument and say that button two is better than button three. And since button one is clearly better than button two as above, button one is the best of the three, then what? Well, then we're almost done. So now we're gonna add a button 1A. Instead of giving person one a nice day at the beach, button 1A has a one in a hundred million chance of giving a hundred million people, just like person one, a nice day at the beach. It's otherwise identical to button one. I claim button one and button 1A are equivalently good, and hence button 1A is also better than button two and button three in this case. Would you agree with that? So just to recap, I actually have a table in the post just to recap what the buttons are. Button one is person one gets a nice day at the beach. Button 1A, there's a one in a hundred million chance that a hundred million people each get a nice day at the beach. I'm claiming those are the same, those are equivalent. Then we have button two, person two gets a few hours at the beach. I'm claiming that's worse. Then we have button three, person two avoids a one in a hundred million chance of a horrible tragedy. And I'm saying that's also worse. And so the conclusion is that button 1A is better than button three. In other words, the one in a hundred million chance that a hundred million people each get a nice day at the beach is better than avoiding the one in a hundred million chance of person two dying in a horrible tragedy. I'm not sure. Is there a particular reason I should think that a one in a hundred million chance of giving a hundred million people just like person one a nice day at the beach is equally good compared to giving person one a nice day at the beach? Well, imagine this from the perspective of a hundred million people who all could be affected by button 1A. You can imagine that none of the 100 million know which one of them will be person one. And think of this like so. Button one gives one person out of the 100 million a nice day at the beach. That's person one, we just don't know who it is. Button 1A has a one in 100 million chance of giving all 100 million people a nice day at the beach. So from the perspective of any particular person who doesn't know whether they're person one, either button means the same thing. For any of these people, Button 1 and button 1A both mean there's a 1 in 100 million chance that that person in particular gets a nice day at the beach. That one was a little convoluted. But let's say that I do think button 1 and button 1A are equivalently good. Now what? Well, now we've established, as I went through before in the table, that a 1 in 100 million chance of 100 million people getting a nice day at the beach can outweigh a 1 in 100 million chance of one person dying senselessly in the prime of their life. So now you just get rid of the one in 100 million probability on both sides. It's the same on both. And the result is that 100 million people getting a nice day at the beach can outweigh one person dying senselessly in the prime of their life. Here's another way of thinking about this. Imagine that two people are sitting behind a veil of ignorance so that each person doesn't know whether they'll end up being person one or person two. Let's further assume that these people are, while behind the veil of ignorance, being rational and thinking clearly, such that whatever they prefer is in fact better for them. This is basically a simplification that makes the situation easier to think about. If we make these assumptions, I expect both people would prefer that you choose button one, or 1A, rather than button two or three. That's because both would prefer a 50% chance of turning out to be person one, getting a nice day at the beach, which is what button one does, rather than a 50% chance of turning out to be person two and getting only a few hours at the beach, that's what button two does, or even worse, a mere prevention of a one in a hundred million chance of dying senselessly in their prime, which is what button three does. So that's the veil of ignorance version of this. And for the rest of this dialogue, I'll generally use the veil of ignorance metaphor because it's quicker and simpler. But every time I use it, you can also do the longer argument I gave with the, with the table and all the buttons. Now, you can do the same exercise for any modest benefit you want, a nice day at the beach, a single minute of pleasure, whatever. And you can also swap in whatever large tragic cost you want. 
uh, incorporating any elements you like of injustices and indignities suffered by person two, the numbers will change, but there will be some number where the argument carries, because for a low enough probability, it's always worth the risk of something arbitrarily horrible for a modest benefit. Arbitrarily horrible? What about being tortured to death? Well, you could get kidnapped off the street and tortured to death, and there are lots of things to reduce the risk of that that you could do and you're probably not doing. So no matter how bad something is, I think you would correctly take some small risk of it for some modest benefit. Not even astronomically small, just small. That's how you act, and I think that's right. And if you add that to the win-win principle I talked about, that just leads to the point I've been arguing. I want to come back to my earlier statement about morality. There's a lot in morality. We haven't talked about when it's right and wrong to lie, or what I owe someone when I've hurt them, and many other things. That's true, but we've established that whatever wrong you're worried about committing, it's worth it, if you help a large enough number of persons achieve a modest benefit. I have to say, you sound like the villain of a superhero movie right now. Surely there's a hint, that's a hint, that you've gone wrong somewhere. The ends justify the means, anyone? In practice, I endorse avoiding the ends justify the means type thinking, at least in complex situations like you see in the movies. That's a different matter from what in principle makes an action right. I'm not saying the many other moral principles and debates are irrelevant. For example, lying might tend to hurt people, including indirectly, by damaging the social order, making people have worse lives. It might be impossible in practice to understand all the consequences of our actions. So we might need rules of thumb, like don't lie. But ultimately, as long as you're accepting the win-win principle, there's no wrong you can't theoretically justify if it truly helps enough persons. And as we'll see, some situations present pretty simple opportunities to help pretty huge numbers of persons. That's a very interesting explanation of why your supervillain-like statements don't make you a supervillain, but I wouldn't say it's conclusive or very satisfying. Shouldn't you feel nervous about the way you're going off the rails here? This is just not what most people recognize as morality. Well, I think that what most people recognize as morality is a mix of things, many of which have little or nothing to do with making the world better for others. Conventional morality shifts with the winds, and it's often included things like thinking homosexuality is immoral, or slavery is fine, or God knows what all else. There are lots of moral rules I might follow to fit in or just to not feel bad about myself, but when it comes to the things I do to make the world a better place for others, the implications of the win-win principle seem clear and rigorously provable as well as intuitive. We're just using math normally, and saying that if you care at all about benefiting one person, you should care hugely about benefiting huge numbers of persons. As a more minor point, it's arguably only fairly recently in history that people like you and I have had the opportunity to help massive numbers of persons. The technological ability to send money anywhere and quantitatively analyze how much good it's doing, combined with a massive population and inequality with us on the privileged end, is a pretty recent phenomenon. So I don't think the principle we're debating has necessarily had much chance to come up in the past anyway. I just pull back from it all, and I envision a world where we've both got a lot of money to give. And I'm dividing my giving between supporting my local community and fighting systematic inequities and injustices in my country and alleviating extreme suffering. And you found some charity that can just plow it all into getting people nice days at the beach at a very cost-effective rate. And I'm thinking, what happened to you? How did you lose sight of basic moral intuitions and turn all of that money into a bunch of beach? And in that world, I'm thinking... I'm doing what everyone would want me to do if we all got together and reasoned it out under the veil of ignorance. If you assembled all the world's persons and asked them to choose whether I should give like you're giving or give like I'm giving, and each person didn't know whether they're going to be one of the persons suffering from injustices that you're fighting, 
or one of the far more numerous persons enjoying a day at the beach or something that I'm making possible, everyone would say that my philanthropy was the one they wanted to see more of. I'm benefiting others. You're scratching your own moral-seeming itches. You're making yourself feel good. You're paying down imagined debts that you think you owe. You're being partial toward people around you. Ultimately, your philanthropy is about you and how you feel and what you owe and what you symbolize. And my philanthropy is about giving other people more of the lives they would choose. So my giving is unintuitive, and it's not always feel good. But it's truly other-centered, and ultimately, I'll take that trade. For further reading on this topic, see Other-Centered Ethics and Harsani's Aggregation Theorem, which is a post that I link to. All right, now we're on part two, linear giving. This part is shorter. All right, now I, as the utilitarian side of myself, and as a reminder, uh, both voices are me. They're just different sides of me. I'm going to argue this. It's plausible, probably not strictly true, but definitely allowed philosophically, that if you had a billion dollars to spend, you should spend it all on delivering basic global health interventions in developing countries, a la GiveWell's top charities, before you spend any of it on other things aimed at benefiting humans in the near term. Even if there is some comically large number of modest benefits that could make up for a great harm, it doesn't at all follow that today in the world we live in, we should be funding some particular sort of charities. So you've got some work to do. Well, this dialogue is about philosophy. We're not going to try to really get into the details of how one charity compares to another. Instead, the main focus of this section will be about whether it's okay to give exclusively to one sort of thing. So I'll take one hypothetical, but I think ballpark realistic, example of how delivering basic global health interventions compares to another kind of charity. We'll assume the comparison is pretty representative of most comparisons you could make with relatively easily available donation opportunities, We're going to assume the numbers work out as I say, and then we'll argue about what that means about the right way to spend a billion dollars. All right. So let's say you have a billion dollars to split between two kinds of interventions. First, delivering bed nets to prevent malaria. For every $2,000 you spend on this, you avert one child's death from malaria. And I'm realizing that number is a little out of date. We're going to roll with it um, because it's philosophy, so it doesn't really matter. Two, supporting improvements in U.S. schools in disadvantaged areas. For every $15,000 you spend on this, one student gets a much better education for all of grades kindergarten through 12th grade. For concreteness, let's say the improved education is about as good as graduating high school instead of failing to do so, and that it leads to increased earnings of about $10,000 per year for the rest of each student's life. Finally, let's ignore the fact that helping someone enables them to help others. Uh, That could apply to either of these. It's not immediately clear which is the bigger deal. We are going to talk about long-run future impacts of giving in a future dialogue, but for now, we're going to simplify and talk about the direct effects I outlined above. So with all that set up, here's my claim. The malaria benefit that averts a death is better and cheaper than the better education benefit. So you should keep going with option one until it is not available anymore. If it can absorb all a billion dollars at $2,000 per death averted, you should give all billion dollars to one and zero dollars to option two, the education. And if it turns out that all other ways of helping humans in the near term are similarly not as good as the straightforward global health interventions, then similar logic applies, and you should spend all billion dollars on straightforward global health interventions before spending a penny on anything else. What do you mean by better in this context? I mean, in in what sense is averting a death better than giving someone a better education? What I mean by that is most people would benefit more from having their premature death averted than from having a better education. If it's too weird to think about that comparison, it means most people would prefer or and or benefit more from 
avoiding a 10% chance of premature death versus getting a 10% chance of a better education. So if we're behind a veil of ignorance, if people were deciding where you should give without knowing whether they'd end up as beneficiaries of the education programs or as more numerous beneficiaries of the bed nets, they'd all just about all ask you to spend all of the billion dollars on the bed nets. It's pretty clear in this case that the bed net intervention indeed has something going for it that the education one doesn't, that money goes farther there in some sense. The thing that's bugging me is the idea of giving all $1 billion there. Let's start with the fact that if I were investing my money, I wouldn't put it all into one stock. And if I were spending money on myself, I wouldn't be like, bananas are the best value for money of all the things I buy, so I'm spending all my money on bananas. Do you think I should? How far are you diverging from conventional wisdom here about not putting all your eggs in one basket? Well, I do think it's reasonable to diversify your investments and your personal spending. The reason I think it's reasonable is essentially because of diminishing marginal returns. So to spell that out, the first banana you buy is a great deal, but your hundredth banana of the week is not. Rent, food, entertainment, etc. are all categories where you gain a lot by spending something instead of nothing, but then you benefit more slowly as you spend more. So if we were doing cost-effectiveness calculations on everything, we actually would see things like, well, before I bought any food for the week, food is the best value for money I can get. After I bought some food, entertainment is the best value for money, etc. The math would actually justify diversifying, buying different things. And investing is similar because money itself has diminishing returns. So losing half of your savings would hurt you much more than gaining that same dollar amount would help you. When you diversify, you reduce both your upside and your downside, and that's good for your personal investing goals. But in this hypothetical, you can spend the entire billion dollars on charity without diminishing marginal returns. It's $2,000 per death averted all the way down. Now, it'd be bad if everyone in the world tried to give to the same charity. They would, in fact, hit diminishing returns. When it comes to helping the world, the basic principles of diversification still apply. They just apply to the whole world's collective charity or portfolio rather than yours. So if the world portfolio has $10 billion less in global health than it should, and you have $1 billion to spend, it's reasonable to put all billion dollars toward correcting that. But some degree of risk aversion still applies. The idea of giving all to one intervention that turns out to not work out the way I thought it did, for example, and thus have zero impact scares me. Well, it scares you. But if all the potential beneficiaries were discussing how they wanted you to donate, it shouldn't particularly scare them. Why would they care if your particular $1 billion was guaranteed to help N people instead of maybe helping two N people and maybe helping zero? From the perspective of one of the people, they have about a 50% chance of being helped either way. Risk aversion is a fundamentally selfish idea. It makes sense in the context of personal spending, personal investing, but in the context of donating, it's just another way of making this about the donor. Well, my thinking isn't just about risk aversion. It's also about the specific nature of the charities we're talking about. We live in an unfair society. A key area where things are unfair is that some of us are raised in safe, wealthy neighborhoods and go to great schools, while others experience the opposite. As someone who's benefited from this unfair setup, I have a chance to make a small difference pushing things in the opposite direction. If I find myself blessed with a billion dollars to give, shouldn't I spend some of it that way? Maybe, but it doesn't sound like an argument about what the people you're trying to help would prefer if they were under the veil of ignorance the way I've said. It sounds a little more like you're trying to kind of signal that you care about a number of different things. Now, perhaps to you, $100 million to 10 different things sounds about 10 times as good as a billion dollars to one thing. 
But that's because you don't intuitively feel the difference between a billion dollars and a hundred million dollars. They both just feel like big numbers due to scope neglect. I'm not sure what it's about. Some of it is that I feel a number of debts for ways in which I've been unfairly privileged, which I acknowledge is about my own debts rather than others' preferences. For whatever reason, it feels exceedingly strange to plow all of $1 billion into a single sort of charity while there are injustices all around me that I ignore. There are a number of responses that I might give here. One would be that the bed nets have higher value for money because they're more neglected in some sense. So if everyone reasoned the way I'm reasoning, everyone would have a bed net by now and the world would have moved on to other interventions like education. I could also say not all problems are equally fit for all kinds of solutions. So lack of bed nets is a problem that's very responsive to money. For improving education, you might be more effective working in the field yourself. I could say that I think you're kind of maybe imagining that giving all the money to bed nets means the problem of education gets ignored, but you're not the world. So you're part of a larger society and you're, you're basically just deciding this is the best thing you can do to do your part. So those are, those are responses I think are all somewhat relevant, but I think they would miss the point of this philosophy dialogue, which is about utilitarianism. So I'll instead repeat my talking point from last time. If your giving doesn't conform to what the beneficiaries would want under the veil of ignorance, then it has to be in some sense about you rather than about them. You have an impulse to feel that you're doing your part on multiple causes, but that impulse is about your feelings of guilt, debt, etc., and it's not ultimately about how to help others. So that's the end of the dialogue. There's no uh, last word written for a non-utilitarian, but if you want to add anything improvised, go for it. No, okay, cool. Well, uh, I think you did pretty well there because you just generally sound more reasonable than I do, no matter what you're saying. But hopefully, uh, hopefully the arguments for utilitarianism came across anyway. And hopefully this has given a sense of the headspace and motivations behind some of the stranger things utilitarianism tells one to do. As noted above, I ultimately have very mixed feelings on the whole matter. And the non-utilitarian will have stronger objections in some future pieces. But the next couple of dialogues will continue to defend some of the strange views motivated by the attempt to have future-proof ethics.